Chapter Twenty Seven of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Seven. What seekest thou, fat friar? said one of a party of three gentlemen who were standing under the arch which gave entrance into the great court of Nottingham Castle. He was speaking to a large, heavy-looking man with round, rosy face and double chin who had been wandering hither and thither in the court for some time but apparently without any very definite object what seekest thou incarnation of the jolly god i seek my son replied the friar with a leer what you perhaps can show me but which nevertheless it would be well were you to seek it yourself nay nay no riddles most jovial finks replied sir william geary speak in plain language that i may help thee but i am not inclined to play oedipus for thy convenience what is it thou meanest i mean that i seek the right way replied the priest but whither whither asked sir william who or what is it you want i want to speak with the noble lord hugh de mothama answered the friar who i hear comes in the king's train is brought you mean said sir harry gray for he comes as a prisoner but to tell the truth his captivity seems to captivate the whole court for there is none now who receives any notice but hugh de mothama the court must be getting wise in its old age rejoined the friar methinks i shall follow it too as merit meets advancement but i beseech you fair sir tell me where the young lord makes abode for though i find the doors of this castle as straight for my fat sides as those of heaven they are as many as those of the other place by my life friar replied sir william geary you will find him if i judge rightly with a lady in the deep window of the great hall taking thy trade over thy head for as i passed them she seemed very much as if she were making confession she made the only one that was needful long ago exclaimed sir harry gray for as i rode near them on the way from huntingdon i heard her say you know i do hugh and he mimicked the tone of lucy's voice adding what was wanting must have been love you of course nay then heaven forfend that i should interrupt confession said the friar with a laugh tis contrary to the ordinance of holy church but if you will show me my son which is his chamber i will go thither and wait for a small boy whom i met but now at the outer gate made a mock of me and told me that if i took the third door on the right hand in the left-hand corner just beyond the fourth tower after passing through the second gate i should find a staircase which would lead me to the top of the castle and when i had gone up i might come down again by my faith if i could have reached him with my staff i would have given him some wholesome correction but he was too nimble for me and my infirmities would not let me follow him your facts you mean friar replied sir harry gray but tell me how many casks of beer and butts of wine has it cost to complete that carcass of thine and paint that face neither are finished yet my son answered the friar but when they are i will sum up the items and send thee in the bill it will profit thee nothing however for thou wilt never grow fat why not demanded the other somewhat piqued show me the way and i will tell thee replied the friar well then go through that door and under the arch said sir harry and up the stairs and the second door you come to leads to the lord hugh's chamber now then why shall i never get fat by my faith i am glad to hear such news didst never hear the old rhyme asked the friar 
a pleasant heart a happy mind that joy in all god's work can find a conscience pure without a stain and mind not envious nor vain shall on man's head bring down god's benison and fatten more than ale or venison heaven speed ye gentlemen thanks for your civil entertainment thus saying he rolled off with a low chuckle and took his way through the door to which the courtier had directed him one of the three gentlemen as the reader may have observed had taken no part in the conversation with the friar he now however turned at once to sir william geary asking do you know the scurvy knave not i answered sir william geary this is the first time i ever set eyes upon him but he is evidently a shrewd and caustic villain ready to make himself serviceable in many ways do you know him de margan for you look mysterious i have seen him within the last ten days replied de margan but in a different part of england and with companions from whom doubtless he brings messages to this noble lord hugh this matter must be watched geary i have some old scores of friendship to clear up with hugh de mothama so let us mark well what follows this good priest's interview with him yes i have heard of your adventure said sir william geary and of your resolution to tell the old earl of certain moonlight meetings but you may tell what you will de margan now it will have no effect why the father seems as much in love with him as the daughter and though the noble and right valiant old lord is now over at lindwell preparing to eclipse all that has gone before in his reception of the king hugh de mothama each day since we have been here has ridden over and spent the whole morning there alone i verily believe with his lady-love i heard as much answered guy de margan impatiently i heard as much last night after my arrival but i will find means one way or another to make this hugh de mothama rue his braggart insolence sir william geary paused for a moment with a thoughtful and somewhat bitter smile well de margan he said at length drawing him aside from the rest if you want vengeance methinks i know where there is a man to be found who will help you with his whole heart no one knows of his being in nottingham but myself but i have found him out and will take you to him if you like to go who is he who is he demanded the other no less a person than richard de ashby the fair lady's cousin answered geary he is possessed of a goodly hatred towards these mothamers and methinks of no little love towards his bright cousin lucy de margan however scoffed at the idea what he cried a poverty-stricken beggarly dependent like that to dare to lift his eyes to one so much above him it may be to her dower he lifts his eyes said sir william geary ambition is always a bold lover but however that may be depend upon it he will help you to your vengeance upon mothama if you but concert your schemes together well well replied sir guy i will go to him geary but let us first discover if we can something more regarding the errand of this friar the man is a rank rebel and a forter of rebels i saw him last night with sir william lemwood and all the rest of that crew who were then hot for rebellion i was sent to negotiate but since then that nest of treason has been suppressed and doubtless he now comes to nottingham to hatch some new conspiracy if he proves strong enough but we must watch him we must watch him and if you de mothama do but trip i will answer for it he shall fall ay and heavily too 
so let him take care. I fear there is no chance of getting into some antechamber and overhearing what passes. None, none, cried his companion. That is quite out of the question. But my room looks out upon the head of the staircase, whence we can easily see when this friar issues forth again. We will catch him, we will catch him, exclaimed de Margan. The very visit of such a man is in itself suspicious. Say you not so, Geary? Assuredly answered sir william with a bitter smile assuredly to a suspicious mind and with this sarcasm he turned and led the way to his own apartment in the castle whatever was the friar's errand with hugh de mothmer he remained in his chamber more than an hour and when he issued forth he was followed not long after by the young nobleman who on foot with a cloak of sombre colour covering his gayer garments took his way out into the town through the same gate by which the jolly cenobite had issued forth let us see where they go let us see where they go cried guy de margan and hurrying down he and his companion also quitted the castle and soon caught sight of the young nobleman nottingham in those days was not so large a town as at present but nevertheless it was a place of very considerable importance and then as at present its steep streets and rocky flights of steps running down the curious sort of cone on which it stands gave one the idea of its being built upon a beehive walking down the road which led from the castle hugh de mothama proceeded for some way and then took the first flight of steps that he came to descending towards the lower part of the town but as at the bottom there were two ways which he might pursue the gentlemen who were fulfilling the honourable office of spy upon his actions and both of whom knew Nottingham well, separated for the time, appointing a spot to meet again, in order that he might not escape them. They had just rejoined each other in the lower part of the town, near the old gate, when Hugh, of whom Guy de Margan had not lost sight, paused and looked round him, as if not quite certain of his way, causing his pursuers to draw back behind a booth which protruded into the street the moment after he proceeded again directing his steps straight through the gate and they darting out followed him so quickly that they had well nigh come suddenly upon him as he stopped by the side of the friar whom they had before seen the worthy monk however was no longer on foot but mounted upon a strong tall vicious-looking mule and at the same time he held by the bridle a large bony horse equipped as for a journey Hugh de Mothama was at that moment putting his foot into the stirrup, and in an instant was upon the beast's back. "'This looks very like a prisoner making his escape,' said Guy de Margan. "'Shall I call upon the people to stop him?' "'No, no,' replied Geary. "'He is not making his escape, and if he were, he would be gone before you could do anything. He has a thousand opportunities of escaping every day if he likes it. It is unlucky we have no horses with us.' "'He is going on no lawful errand, depend upon it,' exclaimed Guy de Margan. "'With that monk for a guide. "'I doubt not his journey will end in a meeting with some of the very rebels the king has come down to quell. "'I will go and tell the prince what I have seen, and what I suspect likewise.' "'Shall never think of telling the prince,' said Geary, with his usual shrewd look and sarcastic turn of the lip. "'That will never answer your purpose, de Margan. "'The prince is a sensible man.' and besides you could not if you would edward is away he set out this morning with five hundred men for derby tell the king tell the king 
You can make him believe anything you like. Your mother was a Jewess, wasn't she? Geigemargen turned upon him with a furious look, and his hand upon his dagger, for the words of his companion implied what in that day was the grossest insult which one gentleman could offer to another. But Geary added immediately, "'An Italian, I mean, an Italian. What was I thinking of? You know a single drop of foreign blood in anyone's veins is quite enough to secure the favour of the king. But come and see Richard de Ashby first, and concoct your scheme together. I will leave you with him, for I do not want to share your counsels.' it will be jest enough to see the result. The jibing spirit of Sir William Geary did not well accord with Guy de Margan's mood at the moment, and he was not at all sorry to find that he was soon to be delivered from his society. Walking on through some of the narrow streets which then formed the lower part of the good town of Nottingham, with the projecting gables of the upper story shading them from the sun, and nearly meeting overhead, they at length reached a curiously carved and ornamented wooden house, small and sunken amongst the others, so as scarcely to be seen by any one passing hurriedly along, like a modest and retiring man, jostled back from the observation of the obtrusive crowd. Here Sir William Geary applied for admittance, but before it was granted a full observation was taken of his person, and that of his companion, by a servant looking through a small round window at the side. At length the door was opened, and after some difficulty, Sir Guy de Margam was permitted to enter, Sir William Geary leaving him as he went in. End of chapter 27